You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today, he muses. Neither a leader nor a legend. (laughs) Bob Kravitz. I've been trying to get uh, Bob on the podcast for a while. He's had a, I'm going to say a tumultuous year or so. It's been interesting. Yes. So we haven't been able to make it happen, but finally we are. And one of the things that I want to do multiple times during this podcast, because it's such great writing, is promote his Substack. Mm-hmm. Is that called an account? Yeah, it's a Substack. Uh, yeah, account, I guess. A platform. I don't know what the hell it is. I just write them and hope somebody reads them. <laughs> Musings of an old sports writer. It's on Substack. Bob is an award-winning columnist who has worked for Sports Illustrated, who covered your exit from The Athletic rather generously, as I saw. Yeah, yeah. The Rocky Mountain News, and we're going to ask about his championship years in Denver. Of course, the Indianapolis Star and other publications. He's covered sports as a columnist and feature writer for more than 40 years. He was also a graduate of Indiana University, 1982, so he was there for one. 1981. And he worked at the uh, Daily Student, so we're going to talk about uh, Bob Kravitz, Bob Knight, and nudity. (laughs) Those are three words you don't want in the same sentence. (laughs) Today's podcast features Bob Without Boundaries. Yeah. Which means no it should work wonderfully. Thank you, Bob, for my, coming on the podcast. My my pleasure. I'm glad we were able to finally make it work. You've always been very generous. It's interesting that I I only really worked with you on one story, and that was the story I leaked to you about the $160 million deal uh, with the CIB and Pacer Sports Entertainment in 2014. And it was funny, too, because the only two people who were upset with me about that 
Tim Swearens and God rest his soul, Matt Tully. Matt Tully, yeah. They wanted the story, and I'm like, no, I got to give it to the guy with the six million Twitter followers. And <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, it's diminished since then. <laughs> no longer six million, more like five and a half. <laughs> you wrote very poignantly. And we're going to get to a lot of aspects of your career, but focus probably on the last few years uh, about your love of writing and how it was a bug that bit you early. Yes, yes. My my father. I grew up in New York in Long Island, and my father would take the train every day into New York City, into Manhattan, to work, and he would pick up all the New York and New Jersey papers at the when he got into town. And he'd bring them home, and it was like a Christmas gift. Every day, here are your papers. And I would just, <clears throat> I would just eat them up. I just, for, for, I, cover to cover. Even the, the page six stuff in the New York <laughs> Post. Actually, that was my favorite. But I just love reading it. And I, I got the journalism bug at a very young age. I remember really in, in high school, I used to write columns about the hockey team that I played for. <laughs> that's nice uh, uh, yeah oh yeah every story was Kravitz was brilliant in goal <laughs> stopping 47 <laughs> shots most of them high leverage high pressure sh- oh yeah the, I, lo- the Long Island Gump Worsley I was yeah for a while in college my friends called me Gump <laughs> that, that was great you don't get many Gump Worsley references you don't but I'm glad we got one in this podcast you grew up in the you're born I'm guessing the early 60s if I, my math is correct yeah I, I was born in 60 and so growing up in New York in let's say late 60s early to mid 70s not a bad time to be a sports fan no I really came of age 69 was the miracle Mets mm-hmm. the Knicks won the championship. My beloved Islanders had not been formed as of yet. And the Jet, I wasn't a Jets fan, but the Jets won the Super Bowl in what, 69? Yeah, 69 was the year where it all came together. And the Knicks won in 70 and 73. Yeah. 73, yeah. What about Mickey Mantle, Bill Bradley? Bill Bradley was my time, but Mickey Mantle was a little bit before my time. That he was. I would have been a little kid during Mantle's salad years. What about, who did you read? Dick Young, who I found out later was a churl. But (laughs) I read Mike Lupica. I read Jimmy Breslin, who was a city side columnist, the best who ever lived. People like that. John Johnson from Newsday, covered the Islanders. Let me ask you about another, and then we'll move on, another great sports figure sports widely defined who was in new york at that time and that is bobby fisher the chess grand oh the master, chess grandmaster yes who was nuts nuts turned out not to like the jewish folks too no, much no no he was a self-hating jew apparently yeah and but the son of two brilliant parents who right. became if not the best chess player of all time, certainly the greatest. I remember the Spassky, was it 72? 72, that's what I was asking 72, you. 72, Spassky, I remember, because I didn't play chess, mm-hmm. I don't know the first thing about chess, but I do remember following that 
in the newspapers when it was going on. Because his one of his best, because he hid out in Reykjavik, Douglas. But before then, he was hiding out in Douglaston, Queens. Yes. And he went to high school and he, Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond were all in high school at the same time. I'll be the damned. same high school. But but back then, New York, is it fair to say New York was still the center of the American sports world, even more than Los Angeles. Oh, absolutely, yeah. New York, the fandom, the you got two baseball teams, two, two, three hockey teams. When I was growing up, we only had the Rangers. But yeah, oh yeah, New York, I think it's still, to some degree, the epicenter, although their teams generally stink. <laughs> Did you root for the Giants to beat the Patriots in both Super Bowls? At that point, I had given up my fan card. It's my, my wife does not understand this. She's like, how can you watch a game and not say anything? How can you not root? I was thinking more rooting against the Patriots than for the Giants. Oh, yeah, I didn't like the Patriots and what they stood for besides winning. But, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed watching the Giants beat their ass, but I don't root when I watch games now. We watched the national title game last night, mm -hmm. and I was rooting for Michael Penix. And Washington, sure. because he went to IU and all that. And I know the kid a little bit and his family. But no, I don't find myself rooting very much. That actually leads me right into my next question. If you don't root for teams, which obviously I get, do you find yourself rooting for players or cities? You want Indianapolis to really do well when it hosts the Super yeah. Bowl. Oh, yeah. You root for cities. I always find myself... I, were, I lived in Cleveland for a while, and I, and I, all my friends were Browns, Browns crazies. So I always found myself rooting for Cleveland to finally do something with football. But I root for the story. I root for whatever the most compelling story may be. And, uh, and I root for nobody to get seriously hurt. I remember going uh, having a beer with Robert Mathis once, and he couldn't understand me saying that I wasn't a Colts fan. I'm like, I'm a nothing fan. I just, I'm like a political writer, objective. But in a sense, you're not objective as a columnist. So you would have more, am I fair to well, say, you'd have more latitude to root? Not so much. I think as a local columnist, you're focused on that team, but you're not rooting for them. Honestly, was I happy they won the Super Bowl in 2009? No, six. Seven. Six. Six. Six, six mm -hmm. seven. Nine was New Orleans, Hank Basket. Off the face. Uh, <laughs> I was actually there. I was working for you? Mayor Ballard. And I remember he called me. And as, as all my friends and listeners of the podcast know, I've been a fervent Miami Dolphins fan since Super Bowl six. So that's the 71 season. I was born in 67. I remember mm -hmm. the game because my dad was watching it. And Mayor Ballard goes at the end of the third quarter, if the Colts win, get down to where I'm sitting. He had slightly better seats than I did. Imagine that. We're flying home on the Colts plane, and I've never rooted for any team to win so, as much yeah. as I did. I'm like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and of course, I black-catted them. Yeah, that's a shame. But when you root, you want the Pacers to do well. Not only that, yeah. it gives you more to write it about. Me, it gives like, me... The further you go in the playoffs, the better it is for me. Oh, it's the fact that the Colts had a decent season this year undoubtedly helped my subscription uh, on bobkravitz.com, free plug. If they had gone 4 and 13 again, uh, I don't think I would have had the incredible start that I had on the, on the platform. 
So yeah, you root for yourself. You root for the story. You root if you're on deadline, which I'm not anymore. <laughs> but if you're on deadline, you root for blowouts. <laughs> you, you're like, please let this game. Like Peyton Manning damn near killed me with the comeback in Tampa. Oh, when they were down they three were or down, four touchdowns. They were down 20. three touchdowns with five minutes to go. And the SOB leads them back. And um, Did you tell him that? I did. <laughs> I said, you caused my heart attack. <laughs> I'm assuming he didn't apologize. No, he's but do like you, that. Let me ask another question. Do you root against? You have an opinion about Coach Bill Belichick. He is on the precipice, even though he's had a terrible year of breaking Don Shula's all-time NFL right. win record, which I think is 347. Does Bob Kravitz want Bill Belichick to have that record over Don Shula, who's probably the most honest person in professional yeah, sports? Yeah, not really. <laughs> I Look, Belichick to me is the greatest NFL coach who's ever lived. Despite? Despite it, yeah. Because he did it all in the, in the salary cap era. You know, was coaching... When uh, uh, Walsh was coaching um, in San Francisco, they didn't have to worry about a salary cap. They could pay the most money, you know. Even I, I just realized I don't have my headphones on. Well, that's all right. We can hear you just <laughs> okay. fine. All right. Um, but, uh, but but despite the fact that yeah, Deflate Gate, all video the other stuff, Gate, Video Gate, uh, it's like, it's like Jim Harbaugh winning the national title last night. You have mixed feelings about it, but. The only reason I would ever root against after Deflategate, I got so much crap from people in New England that I hoped that they would lose <laughs> because the idea of New England fans being upset really gave me a thrill. And the Patriots were a non-entity for their first for the thirty-five, time, forty years. They, they played, made it to a couple of Super Bowls and got waxed in they both got of them. Whacked, yeah. I remember the old uh, erector set of a of a stadium they played in in the Sullivan Sullivan Schaefer Stadium, uh-huh. something like that. Boy, what a dump that was! <laughs> and I was there. I was in that stadium when Tom Brady made his first start. Because if you remember, yeah, that was against the New England coach. That was against the. The Indianapolis Colts. That was his first start. Let's ask. Uh, uh, he's already been on the podcast twice, but I, I need to ask Eddie White what he thinks about Bill Belichick. He loves him. Don Shula's record. Oh, yeah. He loves him even more. He loves him some Don Shula. <laughs> You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Bob Kravitz, well-known and award-winning sports columnist. We're discussing his career and also his latest endeavor, Musings of an Old Sports Writer, which is on Substack. Substack. And BobKravitz.com. Correct. You went to IU. I did. How did you choose IU from well, Long Island, New York? Yeah, we. My family, I grew up on Long Island. When I was 16, we moved to Chicago, my junior year of high school. That was easy. But we, we moved, and when I was looking for colleges, I wanted two things. I wanted a great journalism school with good sports, Division One sports to cover. And I wanted a hockey team that I could play for. I played in high school. We won a state mm-hmm. championship in Chicago, which is pretty cool. And Indiana fit the bill. They had a club team. Not a not a big time. Right. Michigan, Minnesota, Boston Ohio University State. Yeah. College. I wasn't that mm-hmm. good. I was I was the king of mediocrity. But I got to play at IU and I Worked at the Indiana Daily Student. And yeah, so that's how I ended up there. I just, 
I didn't want to go back east, and I wasn't smart enough to get into Northwestern, which was near where I live. <laughs> Indiana, it was. You were there for both the Corso years the Corso. and the night years. Mm-hmm. Corso is obviously a hell of a lot more famous now than he was coaching IU. Also, was Doc Councilman there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still. and the Kobe Billingsley. Yegi. Jerry Yegley. Yegley, yeah. Mm-hmm. IU had a significant, not really football, obviously, but... Sam Bell. And track, that's right. He was an Olympic coach. So, yeah, they had a lot of luminaries. And I'll tell you uh, about Corso. I wrote something someday that he did, one day that he didn't like, and he... At the, in the Daily Student? At the mm-hmm. Daily Student. And he very gently chided me and told me what he thought I should have done and how I should have handled it and damn if he wasn't right in retrospect and he was a journalism major himself at Florida State oh I knew he went to Florida State I didn't know he was a journalism yeah, major journalism or communications mm-hmm. I forget but as opposed to Bob Knight who's a whole different kettle of fish <laughs> history major as I recall at, yes, at Ohio State. yes yes well I read the story about you and another reporter yeah. Being subjected to uh, Bob Knight in a state of nature. Did mm-hmm. you? It seems that every reporter I've interviewed for the podcast has had a Bob Knight moment. Oh, yeah. Where their relationship with him and I guess subsequently the team or the program makes a turn. Did you have one of those moments? Oh, yes. I started out, Knight liked me. Knight thought I was a, a smart ass mm-hmm. and. Fairly tough-minded. I, I walked in there and wasn't, didn't let his nakedness throw me off at our first uh, interview. Plus, he's a big man. He's he a, big a big dude. Man. He's a big dude. He's six five, yeah. and I'm not. And I wrote a story, and I felt like it needed Knight's comment. And I told Knight what I was working on, and he went bananas, veins popping out of his forehead and his neck, and yelling at me and spit flying everywhere. And this is peak Bob Knight, late is, 70s, early yeah, 80s. Oh, this is... Se- so they went to the... They won the NIT, NIT that year, beating Purdue. They won the NIT. And then he was coach of the Pan Am Games mm-hmm. that same year. What were right. you writing about, if I may ask? I wrote about... They had three players who had been kicked off the team for allegedly smoking weed at the Alaska shootout. And... I got in touch with two of the three. It was like one year later, whatever mm-hmm. happened to these guys. And one guy was still critical of Knight. One guy was like, oh, Knight set me on the path of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And the third guy I can get a hold of. And the, 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 the point of the story was that they went on and had a pretty good season. They won the NIT, if I remember correctly. Back when the NIT was a, was when, a relatively kind of a big deal. Big thing. Yeah, they beat Purdue. Yeah. I told him what I was working on. And he's, do you think these kids want to read about those ads? (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. So the next game was down at Rupp Arena against Kentucky. And I noticed we were having pregame dinner in the press area. And all the managers were looking at me. All the IU managers were looking at me and whispering and pointing. I was like, oh, shit, something's up. <laughs> was that when Gruden, John Gruden, was there as a manager? Or was that before then? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know what year he was there. I don't know either off the top yeah. of my head. So when you see these folks as a student, and then you become basically a professional sports right. writer, journalist, 
what kind of interaction did you have with them? Well, you mean with, with the... Like Corso, with Knight, and the people that you saw when you were an 18-year-old kid, and now you're 30 years old, and you have your own byline. And Yeah. Obviously, it's changed. I, Corso would help me. Knight, Knight treated me the way he treated Russ Brown from the Louisville Courier-Journal and all the other guys that he hated. So I was telling you that the, the managers and stuff were pointing at me. and I, So after the game, I go to the locker to go in and talk to Isaiah and Rates Holbert and all those guys. Mm-mm, you're not coming in. You're done for the season. I was not allowed in the locker room for the rest of the year. And when I would ask Knight a question at a press conference, which mm-hmm. was every press conference, he just look over my head and go, next question. Who else has a question? And the Daily Student or the School of Journalism or anyone just didn't have the power to walk in and say you it's can't. It's Bob Knight. It's Bob Knight versus an 18-year-old. And I, I wasn't going to win that fight. Did you win it later? Uh, I wasn't you, trying to win. Yeah, uh, but you got to write about Knight's I, firing. Yeah. I mean, I did say he brought it on himself. I didn't, I always, there was always a weird cult-like thing at Indiana with Knight. I just, I didn't like what he stood for in a lot of ways. I remember when he said, if rape is inevitable, sit back and enjoy it or something along Relax and enjoy it. Relax and enjoy it. I remember writing something, I killed him. And that was, and I got killed by, by readers because it was a different time. Sure. Back then it was almost okay. He had just won the national championship for the third time. And he couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And he demanded what he demanded from his players. He never demanded from himself. And what is the trade-off? I do public relations for a living. As a Republican, I deal with, let's just say, the majority of people I deal with in the media aren't. Right, right. And so there's, a, there's always that trade-off between stand your ground and... Okay, if I stand my ground, the next time I pitch a story, is he or she going to go, whatever vein? I'm not messing with that one right now. Always, so what is always stand your ground. The trade-off between access and stand your ground. The, the, thing, <clears throat> the, the nice thing about being a columnist is you don't have to have access. Does it help? Yes. Uh, it's different if you are the guy or the woman who is covering the Colts or who, whomever. The beat reporter, yeah. On, on a daily basis. As a beat reporter, you need to maintain that access because those players and coaches are your lifeblood uh, for your stories. For a columnist, you can kind of say whatever the hell you want to say, and if they're pissed at you, that's just too bad. You came through, we're talking with Bob Kravitz, who currently writes on Substack, musings of an old sports writer. Bob, you came into journalism school. Mm-hmm. Not at the tail end, but five, six years after Watergate. Watergate yeah. How did Watergate affect your sense of journalism and how it was taught to you? Sure. That's a great question. And when I talk to kids, they ask, what are some of your formative experiences in journalism? And that's, they, that's when all the, the whole, all the presidents, man, mm-hmm. journalism was viewed as a noble undertaking. That has changed obviously, over the years for several reasons. But I always saw it speak truth to power, that kind of thing, demand 
d- demand the best out of them. And I figure, I'm trying to think of the word, but anyway, accountability. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. I, it's pretty good for a Republican. <laughs> we do what we can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a noble profession. And that's one of the things that they got me jazzed about it. It was that I thought it was, you were doing something important. And did the fact that political reporting, Watergate, Vietnam, the church committee, mm-hmm. you know, about that Frank Church had, the senator from Idaho, did it have a magnetic effect? Hey, I want to do political stuff or government, or were you set on sports from day one? I, I thought about news, and I did a few news stories for my high school paper, and I just found that I love to write, and I just found that writing about sports gave me more freedom mm. to put myself out there as a person, put my personality into my writing. I felt the political writing, unless the only kind of political writing that really appealed to me was Jimmy Breslin, Mike mm-hmm. McAlary, Michael Roy, Jack Anderson, mm-hmm. all those guys. Mm-hmm. Those were some of my idols growing mm-hmm. up. When was your first, if you remember, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this moment. Because we always think of it, right? The writers, if you watch them win the national championship. Did you have a moment like that? Maybe, uh, you know, it might have been a little later in my career, strangely enough. Being at the Olympics. Being at the Olympics the first time in Albertville, France in 92. I was 32. I'd had those sorts of moments prior to that. But that was one of those moments where I thought, damn, I made it. I'm at the Olympics. How cool is this? And they pay me to get on a flight to France, to the Alps, French Alps. So that was cool. But I I had several of those moments prior to that, but I I can't specifically recall. Forgive my ignorance. Did you cover the Dream Team in Barcelona in 92? I covered them part-time. I was in Barcelona. I covered the whole Olympics. So I was covering this, that, and the other thing. But I did several, several games, and we all hung out with Charles Barkley one night and had way too many cocktails on Las Ramblas, which is the main drag in Barcelona. So, yeah, I I, I did cover quite a bit of that. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guest today is award-winning sports columnist Bob Kravitz. If you had a podcast and could have anyone in the world as your first guest, who would you choose? Does he have to be alive? Yes. Oh, okay. if you want him, he or she to speak. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say Jackie Robinson, but yeah. that would be my that would be my dream. His face should be carved on a mountain. Somewhere. It should be. It should be. Let me think. Tiger Woods would be really interesting. You think, think he'd answer all your questions? That's that's been established already. Let me, let me. Yeah, just his the unique way in which he grew up, and I think, yeah. Tiger would be one, and I'm a golfer. I don't watch golf that much, but I love to play. But I think he would be fascinating growing up as a guy who so much was expected, like LeBron, and he 
they delivered. Over, yeah. Overshot all those expectations. How did you end up? At, when did you come to the Indianapolis Star? And uh, why did you come to the Indianapolis Star? Interesting. In 2000, I came here. So I've been here 23, 24 years. I was working at the Rocky Mountain News in Denver, and I was very happy there. It's great. It's a great town, great sports town. In fact, their teams were winning championships. And during the time that we were there, we got the Avalanche hockey team and the Rockies baseball team. In fact, I wrote a book about the first year of the Colorado Rockies. It's available on Amazon for about 32 cents hardcover. <laughs> but we were locked in a newspaper war with the, Den- with the Denver Post. It was one of the last true two newspaper wars uh, in the country. And I was getting the feeling, and it turned out to be right, that the Rocky was going to lose that war. And I didn't have any guarantee that I would be hired on by the post if the Rocky went down. And I was a game of musical chairs. I didn't want to be caught without some place to sit. And an old, an old friend of mine from Indiana, Tim Franklin, who I'm mm-hmm. sure you remember, he was the publisher of the star and they made me a wonderful offer. And despite the fact that we don't have a hockey team or a major league baseball team, I said yes. And, uh, been here 24 years and, it's great. It's a great sports town, and it's a great place to raise your kids. You get here the year after Manning. Is he ninety nine? No, first? Manning was ninety eight. So 98 I, I was first. here for his third season. And they had, and the first season was terrible. The second season they made the playoffs. Thirteen, so like 13, and, 13 and, three. and three. Correct. Is that one of the reasons? And the Pacers were really good. They had just made the uh, NBA Finals. You money, thinking? money was the reason. <laughs> I mean, I mean, whether they were good or not, the fact that it was a really good sports town and the fact that you had two major league sports teams plus college is huge mm-hmm. here. I don't do much high school, if mm-hmm. any, but that's also big here. But the fact that we had things to write about mm-hmm. was very much a lure for me. Whether they were doing well or not, I mean, it wouldn't have made a difference if it the Colts were one and fifteen and the Pacers were sixteen and sixty six. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No. I mean, you cover good teams and you cover bad teams. When I was in Denver, I covered some terrible Nuggets teams that won twelve games yeah. a year. Broncos were up and down until they they got their two championships. Until they draft Terrell Davis, Terrell in the <laughs> sixth round, for God's sake, or fifth round, I forgot. <laughs> But uh, and that Elway guy was pretty good. He's pretty good. Think about the quarterbacks I've had. I'm in Cleveland with Bernie Kosar, who was good, not mm-hmm. great, but really okay. good. Then I go to Denver. I got John Elway. Then I come here and I get Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. We're gonna talk about that and Gardner Minshew. <laughs> I'm gonna read something and uh, tell me your reaction. Okay, it's on your Substack. I also thought I'd retire at WTHR. Never should have left the Indianapolis Star. Never, ever. Shouldn't have. The WTHR, I don't know why they hired me in the first place, to be honest with you, but... You're the leading sports voice in the, in yeah, the, in the market. Yeah. yeah, I was. and But I tell my kids this all the time, and I didn't listen to my own, my own thoughts. I say, don't mess with happy. And I was happy at the start. I was happy. And the deadlines were starting to wear me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be honest with you. And I had some heart issues 
along the way that made it a little more of a challenge. But I just fell in love. Look, they offered me a ton of money. And I thought, wow, I get to do the same things I was doing at the Star, except no deadlines. And I get to do a little TV. And while mm-hmm. I'm not real comfortable, and I certainly don't look like I belong on TV, it's it was still fun. There was a chance to branch out and mm-hmm. see what I could do. And Calabro is... Yeah, Calabro's yeah, terrific guy. Good, good guy. But they let me go after four years of a five-year contract that wasn't guaranteed because none of them are, I don't think. And then I found myself at The Athletic, which was a small disaster, but that's neither here nor there. A disaster in terms of how they treated you personally yeah. or their business model or how, the they, how they treated me. I just felt marginalized almost from day one. I had four four or five editors in four years. They were constantly changing what they wanted from you. And it just, I had editors, I would tell them I want to do a story on X. And they would tell me, it's not going to do, I don't think it's really that, but it's going to do that analytically. I'm like, I'm in Indianapolis. I've been here for 23 freaking years. I know what's going to get read here. Mm -hmm. And I got tired of being overruled. Uh, on what a good story was for our local market. And it was just very frustrating. Did you ever consider becoming the editor? Hell no. No, I'm not, I'm not an editor. I'm a writer. Never thought about? No. Look, when I, you mean at, at the well, I'm saying if, if you have the power, small P or capital P, of an editor, then you can go to bat for writers like you. Yeah. No, I, I asked them when I joined, I said, do you want me to be the guy who runs the Indianapolis uh, region? And they were like, no, we just want you to be a columnist. And I said, okay, that's fine. You've been very candid in your writings about you should have never left the star. The THR thing was a bit of a, maybe a surprise, yeah. not a shock, but let's say surprise. Yeah, it was a surprise. The athletic was not what you wanted it to be. Right. And you left. Uh, I just... Have you ever, as a sports journalist, called for someone to lose their job? And if so, do, do the last few years give you a different perspective? Um, I think the only coach that I could ever remember calling out was Jim O'Brien. Remember the Pacers you, coach. The Pacers coach, because I, I knew how bad it was. Uh, you know, Chris Polian. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. It, it, look, these guys – but this guy needs to be cut. We need to trade this yeah, quarterback. No, it, and that's people's it, livelihoods. Does it give you a bit of a pause before you hit enter? No, because I'm an insensitive lout. <laughs> is that a prereq? <laughs> no. Look, I, they are paid ungodly sums of money. to. Uh, they, they took on this job understanding that nothing is forever. And... I understand that in my job. I understand that we're judged on now on analytics and metrics and all that kind of stuff. So Ch- chart beat, I recall, is that the name? Chart beat, yeah, I remember that at the WTHR. No, not really, not really. And, and I know it makes me sound insensitive. I but I rarely call for anybody's head for that reason. There really needs to be a compelling reason why Coach X. Or player X just doesn't belong. Have you ever been in the locker room and you're covering basketball and football mostly? So it's not exactly the 
It's not munchkin land. Have you ever felt this guy may just grab me or get in my face? Oh, it's or- happened. It happened in Denver. I was down in Tucson for spring training and I had written something about Dante Bichette. I don't know if yeah, you remember yeah. him as a baseball player. And he had to be pulled off of me. He didn't get any shots in. But we were this close to each other, screaming at each other. And he pushed me, and I pushed him back, and then we were separated. Thank Good good thing for him, because I would have kicked his ass. <laughs> guy's about, in case she, guy's in case, about 6'3", 250. In case you didn't hear at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Bob Kravitz is from New York. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm not allowed to say that, am I? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're perfectly fine. My parents are from New Jersey, so the oh, mentality Jersey. So is... So is my wife, so... But you never felt there's the Jim Rome thing, obviously, with Jim Everett, and there's some other confrontations. And I always just wonder if some of these players are just like, I'm not going to let you get away with talking about me that way, and we're going to settle it as adults, and you're not going to hide behind your pen. That's happened very infrequently. And usually I try to diffuse it and say, look, let's have a conversation as two human beings, and I may, in the end, agree with you. I had a disagreement with Jeff Saturday, and he was pissed off about something I wrote, and we talked about it, and I said, I think you're right. I'll go mm-hmm. back, I'll look at what I wrote, and if it's off, if it's unfair, I will. I've done plenty of mea culpas in my in my career. You're on a deadline, you're just trying to mm-hmm. get something out there, something pops in your head, and then an hour later, you're like, oh, crap, what the hell did I just write? <laughs> And uh, yeah, but I, I have not had really the Dante Bichette was as close as I've come to actually throwing, throwing hands. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is award-winning sports columnist, very familiar to this market, Bob Kravitz. Uh, he is now writing on Substack and his column is called Musings of an Old Sports Writer. May I read another sentence to sure. you and you can react? Sure. Quote, a league source tells me, (laughs) I figured you'd get it after that. A league source tells me the NFL is investigating the possibility the Patriots Mm -hmm. deflated footballs Sunday night. More to come. Yeah. Yeah. That became the biggest story, not just sports story, but literally the biggest story in the country for (laughs) several cycles. I was on CNN with Anderson Cooper and I almost called him Cooper too. Thank you, Anderson. It, it <laughs> Everyone was, in it sports was, has a nickname. You should just call him Coop, Coop like Michael yeah. Cooper. It, it was it was uh, wild. Yeah, I got that. They played on a Sunday, and I got it Sunday night, and then I spent about an hour trying to get it confirmed. Now, I knew the person who told me I knew was right, but I had to get it confirmed by somebody who was mm-hmm. totally in the know. And I got that, and I tweeted it out. And yes, all hell broke loose. I was dead asleep in my room. Four o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. It's NBC News. Boston uh, Radio wanted me on at six in the morning. It was it was a bleep show. It really was. <laughs> I won't use the word. I know. Did you think York, this is a great time to renegotiate my contract? It, it's funny when I was doing myself before you do your when they you know, tell you how you're doing mm-hmm. at the end of the year. I just put, and you have to do a self review, self, self evaluation. Review. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. I'm having a hard time with words today. And I put broke to flake gate. 
drops the mic. <laughs> it didn't well, help me in the long run, but... Why did that become such a big story? Because, other than the fact that it played into the Patriots cheating. Right. Proclaim- because it was the flagship franchise of the uh, league. And it was a team that was going back to the Super Bowl for the 800th time. And it was Tom Brady. If this had been some schmuck with the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been as big of a deal. But it did fit into the general idea with the video gate or whatever it was mm-hmm. uh, previously. It, it fit the bill for the Patriots. And they were going to the Super Bowl. They won that game and they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was it was a perfect story. It was a perfect storm. Did you get everything right in that story? No regrets? No? No. The only thing I would regret would be, that, um, I can't remember if it was Peter King or uh, Mortensen. I think it was Mortensen was told by a league source that like 10 out of 12 balls were two pounds underweight, which turned out to be... An Im- a wrong statistic, and I said, according to Chris Mortensen, blah 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 blah. So I wish I had known mm. that somebody gave him bad information. But no, I the only the, the only other thing is I wouldn't have engaged with the fans and their media mm. as much as I did. I should have just kept my mouth shut and let the reporting speak for itself. But. They were going after my wife. They were going after my yeah. kids. They were just being so nasty, claiming that I was drunk when I tweeted it out. It was just <laughs> absurd stuff. And was I just part of the problem. Forgive me. Was part of the problem. Let me say it a different way. Was part of the interest in the story. And I'll speak for myself. I didn't know that footballs had to be inflated. I didn't know either. Particular PSI. I had no I, clue. I did not know either. In fact, I, I didn't know that both teams brought their own footballs into the game for use on the offense. I had no idea. All I knew was that they were being investigated. And I got these New England fans saying, it's been proven scientifically that the ball's (laughs) deflated because of the cold weather. I was like, look, I'm not saying whether they were deflated or not. I'm saying that they were being investigated. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a whole different thing. Right. Now, did I believe that there was some underhanded tactics being used? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're the Patriots. <laughs> but that's not what I reported. I reported they were being investigated, and that was 100% true. You have covered several Super Bowls. But I'm going to ask you three. Of these three, which was your favorite to cover? Okay. The Colts beat the Bears mm-hmm. to win the Super Bowl. The Colts lose to the Saints. No. Indiana, Indianapolis hosts the Super Bowl in 2012. The, the hosting the Super Bowl was absolutely fantastic, except that I spent the entire week running down Peyton Manning's stories because if you remember, that's when Peyton was coming back from his neck mm-hmm. surgeries, and there was the question whether they were going to get rid of him at the end of at the mm-hmm. in the next month or so which I knew they were going to. You got Andrew Luck available, and you got a guy with a bad arm who you owe $28 million to. That's a no-brainer, man. I would say the win over the Bears was a favorite. Probably my favorite Super Bowl was Elway finally winning the, the Super Bowl. The first one in The first one Robbie. in 98. Mm-hmm. 
98. That would have been San Diego. And the next year they beat the Falcons. Next year they beat the Falcons when Eugene Robinson <laughs> won the Leon Lett Award. It won the, uh, the Leon, yeah, it won the Bart Starr Award and gets picked up with a hooker on Biscayne Boulevard. Good Lord. I remember we were all out to dinner the night before the game, and we're like, man, we really we busted butt. We did a great job. Nothing can possibly happen now. And we wake up the next morning, and there's a story about he was Eugene, the captain, wasn't he? Yeah, Eugene Robinson with a ho- oh my gosh. Did you enjoy doing your radio show, Kravitz and Eddie? Yeah, I did. I did mostly because Eddie made it enjoyable. I'm not a high energy mm-hmm. or particularly articulate person, I don't think. And, and speaking is different than writing. Obviously. Yeah, it's totally different. Sometimes I'll, as you've noticed, I'll just forget the dang word. I enjoyed it. It was hard writing four or five columns a week and doing doing a radio show five days a week. Again, my, my, my dang health just kept getting in the way of stuff. I Quadruple or quintuple? I had a quadruple. Bypass? Yeah. A few years ago? And I've had heart problems on and off for the last 15 years. But I enjoyed it. Eddie is just a bottomless pit of energy. Not pit, but he's just got lots of energy. Mm -hmm. And he's always on. And I'm not always on. I'm rarely on. Uh, what happened to it? I thought I don't listen to much sports radio, but I well, thought it was a what happened show. was the guy I did too, and we our ratings were good. The guy who ran the place suddenly passed from pancreatic cancer. I've gosh, I forget his name now, Italian guy. He passed and the new people they brought in, the guy wanted JMV from, mm-hmm. from the other station and didn't want to pay both me and Eddie. Mm-hmm. Wanted to pay one guy. So I think it was economic, and I think he, the guy, just generally did just didn't like our show, and that's his prerogative. But I thought it was a really good show. I really did. I thought it was smart. I thought it was smart, and I thought we got incredible guests. Incredible guests. How do other sports writers view? We just had it a few days ago. This wasn't it. Troy Aikman was going on and on about Indianapolis. Mike mm-hmm. Greenberg from ESPN has said in the past, it's the pre Indianapolis is the premier sports city in the country. As far as events, how, what is the opinion of Indianapolis when the sports writers come to town? Oh, it's, I remember guys who are not looking forward to coming to a cold weather site in whatever year that was 2000 mm-hmm. for the Super Bowl. Yeah. 2012, 12. And then they got here. And first, we got lucky with the weather. We got really lucky. Because if you remember, we were supposed to get it the year before. And Jerry Jones out outbid us. And he had the new stadium coming online. And they got nailed with the worst ice storm of the century. And we had 10 inches. I was working in, for Mayor Ballard. And we got 8 to 10 inches of snow when 2 inches was forecast. Right. And the mayor's in Dallas, and I'm here doing all the salt barn interviews, getting lit up because I, I don't, you don't, why haven't you done more yet? I'm like, well, I looked at your yeah. station, it said two minutes, two inches. So that's why. Yeah, I'm it's dead. your fault. Blame but, Sean Ash. <laughs> but you're right. Jerry Jones stole that Super Bowl from us. Right. And you get what you deserve. And you get what you deserve. The guys get here and they're like, oh, cold weather. What's Indianapolis? How exciting. They loved it. Sports writers love to complain. 
I did not hear one complaint <laughs> the whole dang week. All right, there were a couple of people who were stuck out in Keystone at the crossing. Sure. So they were not really happy. But 90%, Allison Melanchthon told me, she said, if you hear any complaints, let me know because we'll get things fixed. So I told, I kept texting. I said, nothing. Everybody loves even the little touches, like the letters mm-hmm. from kids. That's why I, I can't wait for the All-Star game, even though I hate the actual All-Star game because it's not basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. But we are going to do it right. And Bob Ryan, who I'm sure you know from Boston, who says, I'd love to have on the podcast. Oh, he would do it. He'd do it in a heartbeat. His writing is terrific. Yeah, he's wonderful. But yeah, no, it it, it just went so perfectly. It was just a weird week for me because I remember one day I'm, I go off to just go get a beer. I just mm-hmm. finished my column. I just want to relax, have a beer. And I get a call from ESPN. Chris Mortensen just reported that Peyton Manning's been cleared to practice or play or whatever. Because Manning and Mortensen are close. They're, they have the same agent. Okay. That always helps. Yeah, that helps. And so I had to run back into the media room and write another column and make phone calls. So that whole week, I didn't really get a chance to enjoy the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. per se. I was just running after Peyton Manning stories. <laughs> but no, I was saying my favorite Super Bowl was when John Elway, the helicopter. Yeah, against the uh, Packers. Against the Packers. And this one's for John. That was spine-tingling stuff. Because he had lost three. Three. Before. Badly. Yeah, none of them were close. None of them were close. And none was more shocking than the Washington blowout, I think. Yeah, yeah. We all knew that San Francisco would kill him. The game against the Giants. Giants Giants played a was it, since 22 for 25 or something. But that game against Packers were a heavy favorite. Mm -hmm. And... Broncos put it to him. We usually end the podcast, all of our podcasts, with the five questions, which okay. we will ask you, but we have just a few minutes left, so I'm going to ask you a series of other rapid-fire questions as well. I'll try to have a rapid-fire answer. Favorite sports book? Either Ball Four or Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam. Hmm. About Oh, and let me put one more in there, the Bob Knight book, Seeds hmm. on the Brain. And for some reason, I have no idea why I had a feeling your first answer was going to be ball four. Favorite sports movie? That's not hockey. Oh, because I was going to say Slapshot, man. Toe Blake? Toe Blake. <laughs> Old time hockey. <laughs> Put on the foil. <laughs> I know another movie that you and I talk about all the time, or when I see you. Underrated. North Dallas 40. North Dallas 40 was phenomenal. Oh, you know what? I'm in Indiana. I love Hoosiers. I, I just do. It's just such a good, a great, feel-good movie. And over the years, I've gotten a chance to know those the writers mm-hmm. and the Ant Spa and mm-hmm. the other gentleman mm-hmm. whose name escapes me. But yeah, Hoosiers. When was the first time you attended the Indianapolis 500, and what did you think of it after? All right. So when I was in college, mm-hmm. we got in a big old van. And we went in the infield, and I didn't see one second of the race. We just partied. (laughs) So I can't say that I honestly saw the race. Mark Miles, are you listening? The first time I actually attended and saw and was conscious (laughs) would be 2000 when I got here. And what was your reaction? I thought it was the coolest damn thing I'd ever seen. Uh, and, and I'm not a motorsports mm-hmm. hardcore. I think it's one of those sports 
much like hockey, it's got to be in your blood. Mm-hmm. And motorsports, growing up in New York, I mean, to us, motorsports is, you know, riding in the a cab. Yellow, yellow cab <laughs> on Fifth Avenue, right? Uh, so uh, I, th- I thought it was incredibly cool, but I, I didn't understand it very well. I, I think I understand the sport a lot better now after 20-something years. Favorite indie sports moment, would you say it's the Super Bowl win? No. No. And if you talk to any player who played on that team, they'll mm-hmm. tell you the greatest moment was beating New England the week before. Week before. Beating New England. Be, the, it was almost an anticlimax. They knew they beat the Bears. Who, who was their quarterback again? Uh, uh, Eddie White. No, no, the quarterback for the Bears. Uh, Good, he went to IU, didn't the kid, he? The kid from Bloomington. Goodman, yeah. Not Goodman. Uh, I'll think of it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was an anticlimax. Beating the New England Patriots, the, the big bad Patriots. That was an exorcism. It was a civic exorcism <laughs> is what that was. Favorite sports any, interview? Favorite person to interview? Peyton's right up there. I'm a big hockey guy, so I, mm-hmm. I always had a great relationship with Patrick Waugh. Oh, yeah, the, the goalie. Yeah, I was a goaltender. I'd say those guys. I remember David Harrison used to play for, yeah, the, for Pacers. the Pacers. One of my favorite guys. Quirky, weird, screwed up. Mm-hmm. But I, I like weird. Anthony Gonzalez is another guy I really like. So I, I, a lot of good interviews over the years. Now I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me how, how wrong I am. Okay. The Pacers were justified in going into the stands for the brawl. No, you can't do it. You just can't. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. They were completely justified. Oh no! Here are the actual five questions. Oh, you ready? Okay. <laughs> what was your first job? My first job was at the Bergen County Record in uh, Bergen, Bergen County, New Jersey, a very good paper in the in the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. What was your first concert? First concert was Jethro Tull at Shea Stadium in, I would have been in high school, around 75. Yeah, you're like your contemporary or past teammate, the absolutely adorable Mark Allen, who grew oh, yeah. up. He's a good, the best. He's, he's a great But he dude. saw all those great New York City concerts. Oh, yeah. The Wall. Oh, my gosh. Number three, if yes. you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? Sophie's Choice by William Styron. Number four, if you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? A sports event or just an event event? Any event. I'm going to ask you about a sport event here. Just That's going to oh. be my final question. Okay. So any other event? Uh, the civil rights marches. Like the March on Washington that ended with the uh, I Have a Dream speech, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Number five, if you could have dinner with anyone living today, Living today. Living today. Uh, it wasn't Grossman? Rex Grossman. Rex Grossman, yeah. Quarterback for the Bears. Yeah. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? Probably Peyton. Uh, just, I'd really, we've had beers before, mm-hmm. but we've never really gotten down to brass tacks about life and relationships and fatherhood and all that stuff. I think two hours, I like to go just play golf and drink beer with Peyton. And and we, and I say that we already have a great relationship, Mm -hmm. but I think he would be, he'd be fascinating. 
especially now that he's retired and he doesn't have to watch everything he says. Right. Okay, so the sixth question of the five questions. You told me there would be five. And journalists always ask, only ask the questions they want to ask, right? Oh, like that's you true. stick to the number that you say. Exactly. <laughs> if you could have not covered, but witnessed and enjoyed any sporting event in history, which one would you choose? I will tell you, Eric Holcomb, I asked him that question, Governor Holcomb, and he said the thrill in Manila. And then he asked me the question because mm-hmm. we were just chatting and for an interview I did for him. And I said, the miracle on ice. I think the miracle on ice. Uh, that, that was going to be, I'm glad you jogged my memory, but uh, I, I'll never forget. I was in Detroit during the miracle on ice, mm-hmm. 19, 1980, right? February 22nd. Yeah. Washington's birthday. And I was staying at this no-tell motel in the worst part of Detroit because I was working for the Indiana Daily Student covering (laughs) the Big Ten track and field finals at Kobo Arena. And there was a guy from the Boston Globe named Joe Concanon, uh, if you remember him. He he asked me if I wanted to come over to, I think it was called the Fountain Blue or some hotel like that, to watch mm-hmm. the hockey game. We had no idea what happened. Because I mean, the was, game had already been played. The game had already been played. Nobody knew who won the game. It, it was crazy. And me and Joe got ourselves a 12-pack of beer and God knows what else. And we sat and we I, I fell asleep on the floor of his hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and two great quotes about that. Uh, one was... Jim McKay, the legendary ABC sports anchor, his daughter was at the game. And he asked her, how was it? Now, this is 1980. And she said, the last time I saw that many American flags, they were burning them. Yeah. And the other quote was, I read an article recently about that game. And it said, just imagine a Canadian college football team beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like That's you don't have any idea the magnitude of this upset. No, it's the greatest upset in, that I can remember in sports history because people forget that they played at Madison Square Garden, the, the Russians. Like 10 to 3. They 10 to 3. Yeah. And it shouldn't even been that close. I remember watching that game and they were just skating circles around the American kids. It was just a moment in history. Have you seen the 30 for 30 that's that's about the miracle on ice from the Russian. Soviet point of view? That It is terrific. I know, and, and it's my idea. Get out. I went to ESPN with the idea, and they, no. No money? No, nothing. They just did it. Now, do I know for a fact that it, they took my idea? I don't know. All I know is I reached out to Bill, Bill Simmons. Simmons, yeah about doing a 30 for 30 on it and was told it was not something there. I wanted to do one on the brawl too, Pacers Pistons brawl, which Jermaine O'Neal did a couple mm-hmm. of years, about a year ago, two years ago. But uh, yeah, that's uh, another great idea that uh, I got <laughs> nothing for. Can we have you back on and we can talk about the uh, sports media business? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies and Indiana-based public relations enterprise and sponsored by Garmont Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always, 
All our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. You have been very generous. I love all your answers. <laughs> it was worth the wait. How about I just say that? Oh, I appreciate it. a blast. I, I'm neither a leader nor a legend, but I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.